Hi, this is Sarah Bull, the host of the Translation Mavens podcast. This is our first full length episode, and I'm talking to Japanese to English translator Danny McLeith, who's based in Okayama, Japan. We have a great conversation where we talk about everything from how Danny first decided to start learning Japanese to where he's at now in his translation career. We cover things like how his career has changed over time, decisions he's made along the way, and some of the tools that he uses to make his work life more rewarding and more enjoyable. We also talk about how the translation industry is changing, what he sees happening in the future, whether he would recommend translation as a career, and what the things are that he loves about being a translator. I hope you enjoy the conversation. Hi, Danny. How are you doing? Thanks for coming on the podcast today. Hello, Sarah. It's a pleasure to be here. Thanks for having me. So, I wanted to start with an easy question. Can you tell everybody about how you originally came to Japan? Yes. Going into college in the fall of 2001, I could see that Major League Baseball may, at that time, have soon seen an influx of Japanese position players in addition to pitchers, specifically Ichiro. That was the year of Ichiro.、Mm-hmm. And I went into college looking at that course catalog, thinking, you know what, I need to know what to say in case I ever meet Ichiro. Japanese one, it is. And that's how it started. I ended up getting a degree in it. And the first time I came over was in 2005, working for an Eikaiwa in Fukushima.、Mm. Wow.、So、that's how I got over here. That's quite an unusual start. It wasn't a plan. I, there were other things I wanted to do, <laughs> but、um, like no, that's、what? how it worked. What were the well, other things? Most interested in working in Major League Baseball as、mm-hmm. a broadcaster or a scout or a coach of some sort. Really, you could have given me any job at the time and I would have been into it. And I saw branching out and visiting Japan and eventually other countries besides the United States, where I'm from,、mm-hmm. that play baseball as a way to do that, to gather experiences from around the world and just be more valuable to the team. Mm, okay. That was the plan. Right. And so that plan changed somewhere on the, along the way, right? So, can you talk a little bit about how the plan changed and how you ended up where you are today, which is working as a Japanese to English translator? And as far as I know, not doing that much to do with baseball, right? Not really anything, no. My only connection to sports these days is through translation, which、mm-hmm. is it's preferable for many reasons. But to go back from the start in Fukushima, you fast forward several years. I'm、mm-hmm. teaching English in Kochi Prefecture and working for a major league team scouting、mm-hmm. professional and amateur players around Japan. A friend invited me to Project Tokyo、mm-hmm. in 2008. And he said, let's go learn about translation. I said, well, sure, okay. I don't think I can do it, but fine.、Uh, the reason being because I thought that to translate, you had to go in both directions, like an interpreter.、Mm. And I knew at the time that I couldn't write in Japanese at a professional level. 
Mm-hmm, so mm-hmm. it wasn't even something I considered. Of course, Project Tokyo showed me that the opposite was true. I met countless people who go in only one direction and mm-hmm. make a fine living of it. So I came out of that saying, translations for me, let's do it. For a that short is, time, I did. Yeah. That's so interesting, though. I mean, I, I'm really struck by the, the fact that you decided to come up to Tokyo for this one day conference on translation. Even though you thought that it was something you wouldn't be able to do. It's so, but- hard to imagine doing that again. I <laughs> really don't know what I was thinking, other than the fact that I had a friend to go with. He had already mm-hmm. decided to go. So I said, sure, let's, let's do it. I think that's actually a really um, good point. Like, it's very intimidating to go to your first industry event um, not just in translation, obviously, but without an friend without as someone that you know I think I took a friend to my first chat event too but mine was a born guy. that sounds like a little bit more fun but still intimidating if you I mean were you with your friend all night or did you know ever... but I think it did take us a little while to to branch out yeah because um that's the danger right when you go with a friend you could spend the whole event just talking to the one person that you know um, but yeah, it's tricky to get that balance right, I think. Definitely, definitely. Mm-hmm. For us, we were interested in slightly different things. I think he had more of an idea of exactly what he wanted to do. He may have already been translating at the time, mm-hmm. come to think of it. And so we parted ways. I, I really didn't see him that much throughout the day. I kind of got sucked into a lunch over here, an event over there. And mm-hmm. I still talk to some of those people and remember very fondly that very first meeting, just not having a clue about anything. And yep. the people who took time to explain things. Mm-hmm. It was, I, I couldn't have asked for a better intro to translation. Yeah, I actually really like the atmosphere of a project that just one day event. I love the iJets as well that are, you know, more of a long weekend kind of thing. Um, but the project is, is a fun thing to just go in for one intense day. I agree. And I, I think it'd be nice to have more of those. Yeah, absolutely. And also it seems to attract a slightly different crowd. I guess the investment is a little bit lower and um, maybe it's less intimidating. Um, feels like less of a huge commitment for people who, like you at that point, just want to find out more about things. Right. I think an iJet would have been a very tough sell for me at mm-hmm. that time. And as a matter of fact, there was one just five months later, six months later in Sydney. Mm. And not having even heard what iJet was, it was just not even a possibility for me. But thinking about it now, that would have been a wonderful springboard into yeah. a, you know, an earlier, bigger network. Of course, things happen the way they did. But yeah, iJet is, is pretty scary. And I couldn't imagine somebody not translating deciding to go to one unless it was in the city that they live in really yeah yeah i think that's a good point um sydney ijet was actually the first ijet that i ever went to um and so i but at that stage i was working in-house and so i was going there on the company dime and with a completely different perspective than when i attend ijets now where i can choose which 
seminars I go to based on my interests um, right. and not the companies and all that kind of thing. But yeah, I do think it is kind of intimidating. At least the concept of it is intimidating. I think even if you weren't a translator and you went, you'd probably really enjoy yourself because translators are generally friendly people. I think so too. And that's one thing that stands out about this industry compared to others that I've worked in is uh, particularly in the J to E direction. There's so much work and so mm -hmm. many varied places, so many nooks that you can go work in that there's really not a whole lot of resource guarding. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That's just I mean? one of my, um, my theories that translators are generally very generous with their time, with their knowledge, you know, people don't, yeah, get all territorial and, you know, refuse to share their trade secrets with other translators or anything like that. Is, there's a lot of um, generosity and people helping other people. Yeah, and I'd like to see it stay that way. Uh, yeah, about absolutely. It now. Uh, I'd like to be one of those people that I appreciated having around when I was full of more questions than yeah. I am. I'm still full of questions. They're just different. <laughs> sure. I think that's part of it as well, though, right? A lot of translators mm -hmm. are on a, a lifelong learning journey. Then um, the lessons that they're going after are just changing, right? So, but anyway, this is part of it, right? You're coming on the podcast and... I ask you questions and you're sharing you, what you've learned and that helps the people that are coming up behind you. So, um, yeah, it's cool. I hope so. And I hope that's, that's what this turns into. I think this is a really neat thing that you're doing here and being a part of it is it's an honor. Yeah, it's fun. And so can you tell us then when you first started translating, you were, you were doing it on the side while you were working in another job or did you how did you, after that first project, how did you dip your toes into actual paid translation work? After that project, I joined JAT right away to get access to the mailing list. Uh, mm. There wasn't a Facebook group or anything like that at the time. So I signed mm -hmm. up for the Honyaku mailing list and the JAT mailing list, mm -hmm. sent out inquiries to 10 translation agencies mm -hmm. and took their trials. I sent out samples. I had other translators who I, whom I had met at Project Tokyo review my work and make suggestions uh, to make my samples better. And then nothing happened. At the time, oh, really? it, was, well, it was the beginning of 2009 and uh, nothing was moving around right, the world. Right after Lehman I mean, and yeah. Yeah, I wanted, to, I wanted to advance in baseball and I was very proactive about that. I came up with reasons why I should be promoted and this and that and mm. the investment just wasn't there and the money just mm. wasn't there to hear my superiors tell it. So nothing happened for around six months and mm. I was just kind of thinking, oh, all right, maybe this isn't going to happen. And boom, one weekend, I got inquiries from three different companies. And I was a teacher slash scout slash translator. Mm -hmm, I did all okay. three for about two months. Wow. And looked at the earnings from translation and said, I got to quit teaching. I have to spend more time doing this. Right. Okay. That's, that's interesting. I mean, I really think that's um a lot more proactive than a lot of people when they first dip their toes in the water. Uh, I mean, 
just the fact that you created samples and you talked to other translators and had them review your work, that's, that's a really great first step. Well, I, I'm very grateful that they did those things. They had absolutely no reason to. Mm. I mean, so why I do you think they to... did? Maybe somebody did it for them. Mm. Or, or maybe there, there is just that much work. I mean, I ended up doing a couple of jobs for one of the people who helped me out with the samples. Mm -hmm. So it, it's nothing to build a career off of or a living off of uh, yeah. somebody else's overflow necessarily. But mm. uh, yeah, I think maybe people can see sometimes somebody who can help out in the future or yeah, maybe it, it could just be that they remember somebody helping them out. I'll always have those fond memories. So yeah, absolutely. If I'm I, talking to somebody at iJet and that happens, I think I'd be very receptive to, um, you know, helping them out. I'm not going to give them the sample translation to no. translate. <laughs> <laughs> no, but I think that's part of the equation, you know. I think there's something, and this is not just translation um, related, but there's something about someone taking proactive action and then asking for a little bit of help you know so if you say like i've translated this and would you mind having a look that's completely different to saying can you show me how to translate something from scratch right like at that if you haven't done anything haven't invested any time or effort i think people aren't that receptive but if you can show that you are taking action people are a lot more open to that kind of request i think you're right about that and i wish i could take credit for that being the plan but i don't think it was i really i just came away from project tokyo totally jazzed about translation mm -hmm. and i wanted to give it a try and something about doing trials and going through this list of hundreds of agencies and spamming them basically mm -hmm. didn't didn't seem like enough mm -hmm. and anyway i didn't even know what to translate i was in i knew baseball and i knew english teaching as much as any college graduate who does mm -hmm. jet or um, alt stuff knows english teaching right so mm -hmm. i didn't know much and i thought okay how am i going to do on this um this trial this 400 character trial about the lehman shock versus this article about sadaharu oh mm -hmm. all-time home run leader in japan i think i'll pick that one and lead with that so mm -hmm. i do i encourage people to come up with samples I think that's a better way to sell what you can do, particularly when you have nothing else to sell. That is really interesting because I have had discussions with people about um, samples versus trials before. And one of the things that has come up um, is that the standard for a sample is higher, I think, because if, you are given a trial um, and then you you translate the trial and you submit it. The company or whatever that is looking at the trial is sort of, they know what they're looking for, right? They're like, oh, right. did you get tripped up on this tricky bit? Or, you know, are there any mistranslations? They're very familiar with it. They know what they're looking for. Um, and that's one way to assess people. But if someone submits a sample, it's like they're saying, this is as good as my work gets, right? Like here is right. a, a really good example of my work. Um, now 
have a look at it and see if you think you want to work with me. And so I think the tolerance for any kind of um, mistakes or awkwardness or, you know, clumsy expression or whatever in a sample is probably lower than in a trial. You're right about that. that. Yeah, yeah. No, I, I agree with that. Absolutely. But I don't think it would be wise to choose a sample translation that you didn't think showed the absolute best that you could Right, do. right. And so, I, I felt confident with my sample because I had shown it to other translators who said, mm -hmm. I like this, I don't like that. Yeah, well, I think that's a great strategy. Yeah. yeah, if you choose something that that you sort of feel that you can do a good job of, you put the time and effort in and you get feedback on it beforehand. So when you are offering this sample to potential clients, it really is you know, a great representation of your work. I think that's a really good strategy. And I don't see that happen very much. So it would differentiate you just by the fact that you're doing it that way to start with. I think it helps that I didn't know much of anything otherwise. <laughs> and it's also important to note that of the three companies that gave me work from that first push into translation, mm -hmm. two of them did not have a trial. So mm -hmm. I can say with certainty that the sample got their attention. Right, right. And the third did have a trial. Mm -hmm. I passed the trial and ended up getting work with them. And the mm -hmm. others that I ended up never working with, I guess it doesn't matter. Uh, but I guess I don't think a sample should necessarily preempt a trial. And mm -hmm. I'm not against doing trials for companies because I've been on both sides of that. When I worked in-house part-time as a project manager, mm -hmm. I looked at a lot of trials mm -hmm. and learned okay this is what the company exactly the things that you were saying this is what mm. the company is looking for and if somebody refuses to do a trial or is uh, you know, churlish about it or doesn't even yeah. say is there any way that we can make this paid it mm. you know depending on what you're looking for you may not want to work with that person anyway yeah i think the um the trial issue is a really interesting one because like you say if someone's really like not open to doing a trial in any sense, then that can really turn a company off working with them. Um, I absolutely agree, like trials with the sort of common wisdom that trials shouldn't be long and they shouldn't be, you know, um, something that's really, you know, gonna take up a lot of the translator's time but I think they can be effective tools. And I think that some tra translators forget that when they do a trial, it's not just their trial translation that's sort of being looked at. It's also the emails, the back and forth, the way they communicate before and after. And the trial. All of the above. <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. So you started off by sort of, you know, approaching agencies and getting some work from them, getting a little bit of work from people that you met at Project. But how many years now have you been working as a translator? I'm in my 10th year as a right. translator now. Mm. Uh-huh. That's the same as me. Um, Is it? Yeah, yeah. I graduated in, at the end of 2007. So, yeah, basically, uh, yeah, 10, 10 and a half years. So, so over that time, I imagine your translation career has changed quite a bit. Can you talk a little bit about how, how it looks different or how it's changed during those 10 years? I can. At the beginning, I took just about everything that I could. 
I mm -hmm. said yes to things that I probably had no business saying yes to and mm -hmm. no to no to things that I probably should have taken. I made some mistakes. I bit off more than I could chew, but it was mm -hmm. all great learning experience. I did editing. I did rewriting. I mm -hmm. worked for companies in Japan, outside Japan. I gathered a lot of different experiences and listened to the chatter on the mailing lists and later the Facebook group to kind of figure mm -hmm. out what kind of what I wanted this work to look like. Mm -hmm. So it started with basically taking everything, taking the rates that were offered, mm -hmm. taking the deadlines that were offered, and it morphed into, I, I tried my hand at interpreting for a while. I worked part-time in-house with mm -hmm. TBSJ at the same mm -hmm. time you were working there, uh, as a matter of fact. Mm -hmm. And to now, where basically I have a handful of clients that I really enjoy working with. I mm -hmm. treat them, they're in the front of the line, and mm -hmm. everybody else is basically, I, if I'm going to take on something new, I want to see how it's going to fit into this. Because mm -hmm. I've got a nice mix of short jobs, long jobs, quick deadlines, long deadlines, uh, the mm -hmm. rates work out, everything's working out pretty well. Mm -hmm. So when you say a mix, is that a mix of direct clients and agencies or a mix of just different agencies or different direct clients or? Different agencies. Right now mm -hmm. it is nearly all agencies. I get the odd request from my website or through the ATA website, but nothing ongoing with direct clients at this point. Mm, it's interesting, you know, um, some people will have heard me say this so many times, but I always tell my students when I'm teaching translation that um, like 95% of my work comes through people I know. And that might be indirect. It might be people that know people who I know, but that 100% of my lucrative work comes through people I know. And I often find that those kind of... Um, inquiries via directories or websites or whatever don't end up resulting in work or don't end up resulting in ongoing or very lucrative work has that been your experience i can see strains of that sometimes but i think i've enjoyed some of the projects I've enjoyed the most have come from people that i don't know but it is a crapshoot you really know you don't know what you're getting. Right. I will say that of the agencies that I work for right now, one of the ones that I'm getting quite a lot of work from and enjoying working with, uh, I have not met anyone that works for that agency in person. Mm -hmm. And I did not know any of them before. It came from actually translators talking about this agency online. Right. And enough trusted the translators that I trust said that they enjoyed working for this company. So I cold called them. It was cold mm -hmm. in that they didn't know me and I didn't know them. Right. That, hey, translators I like are working with this company and enjoying it. I looked at their website. The rates looked right. The mm -hmm. categories looked right. So I said, why not? Let's give this a shot. And it ended up working. So we've, we've been working together now for a little over a year. And they're around 30% of earnings from the past that's, 12 months. That's really um, interesting that you say that because I think that is so true. Like that kind of um, almost like a peer endorsement, right? Like hearing from other translators that this company is good to work with. 
or even if they're not actually saying that in so many words, but the way that they talk about the company is favorable is a really good endorsement because like you say, it is a risk, right? You could, if you're dealing with someone that you, with a company that you've never met anyone from, and then it's possible that you could do a whole heap of work and not get paid, or it could take a very long time to get paid, or they could switch the deadlines or the requirements part way through. So yeah, finding out that other translators that you know have high standards, like working with a company is a real endorsement. It is, and I don't think that you know, this means that we should stop talking about our favorite agencies uh, no. when they come up. Because I worked for one that strives to be an agency that translators want to work with mm -hmm. and they do what I thought and still think are concrete things to make that so they've got yes. systems that work once you learn them etc cetera, etc cetera. and this company had a lot of those things mm -hmm. and going back to the point about not climbing up about who you'd like to work with I, there's so much work. This company is, it's not gigantic, but they have mm -hmm. more project managers than any other company that I work with on a regular basis. The work is varied and voluminous. I basically, I don't think anybody, you know, got their lunch stolen by me yes. <laughs> by saying, by saying this is a good company to work for. So yeah, no. I I, as, you don't want to give somebody your black book. No, I, I absolutely yeah. agree with you, though, because I think that some people, and this is, again, not limited to translation, but um, think that the pie is only so big, right? And if someone takes a piece of it, then there's going to be less left for me. But I don't think like that at all. And I really do believe that there's never enough good translators, right? Um, so if a company is run well and they have more access to good translators, then that probably means that they'll be able to source more good translation jobs and projects. It's just going to grow the whole pie. I think so too. And there is the, it works in the other direction too. If you have translators that you're excited to work with, maybe you mm -hmm. go look for better work for them. Or maybe when yes. that work comes by, you know exactly who, uh, you know, that's great work. I'm going to give that to translator Z over here because mm -hmm. she knows what's going on in this category. That's, those are the kind of agencies you want to work with and yes. vice versa. Those agencies yeah. want to work with translators who, who do good work. So it, I think it, it's just a, a virtuous circle. Yeah, absolutely. I agree. So when, you, so you're working exclusively for agents at the moment, basically, apart from odd occasions right is that is my yes, understanding great. right yep is there's often a debate about you know um whether people should translators should go after direct clients is that something that you want to do or are you happy working with agencies or where do you stand on that issue I'm happy working with the agencies that I work with. I think in general, they do a good job at taking care of the many things that I would have to do mm -hmm. if I worked with direct clients. That is the sales, mm -hmm. the marketing, the back and forth. Mm -hmm. If the agency will do all of those things, they deserve the cut that they're getting, in my mm -hmm. opinion. Yep. So I think it's, it's worth trying if it's something that you as a translator want to do. I mm -hmm. think it might be 
perhaps you've got a niche that doesn't have a whole lot of volume or a lot of places where that work comes from. You may just want mm-hmm. to go directly to those people. I'm thinking academia, mm-hmm. I'm thinking, well, academia. Yeah. But if you're, if you, well, if you like a varied uh, palette of work, agencies are a great way to do that. And mm-hmm. like I said, just taking care of all the things you would have to do on your own. To yeah. me, the good agencies are earning their keep on that point. Do you? Yeah, I, I agree with you. Um, do you think you have that view partially because you've seen the other side because you worked, you know, for an agency on the project management side? So you got to have a really good view of the the work that's involved that wasn't translation? Yes, I, I know what can be done mm. and what looks good from at least this translator's point of view. Mm, mm. So it's easier to imagine what's going on behind the scenes because I did get to take a look at it for a period of three years. Mm. And what I saw at that particular company is what I would like to believe is happening at the companies that I enjoy working with. Mm, mm. And if I get different vibes or something different is happening, I, I have some questions I can ask. I have some workarounds. Uh, but if it got untenable because this agency really isn't adding value, it's not somebody I'd want to work with. Mm-hmm. And right now there's enough good work out there that it's, it's not really an issue. I don't really hold my nose and work with anybody I don't like working with. Yeah, I think that's a great um, decision just for your own, like, sanity and happiness and, you know, (laughs) everyday well-being as well, because it's not fun to work with people who are not pleasant, right? Right. And it's, it's not just personalities. It's, it's everything. It's systems or lack of systems. Mm -hmm. It's, you know, messing around with pricing or deadlines. Yeah. I don't want to do any of that. And I don't think you have to, or you being the uh, average translator really has to, um, it's filters. Filters are very important. Yeah, sure. So let's talk about that decision that you made to work for TBSJ as a project manager for a while. And um, like why you decided to do that, how, like I assume it wasn't completely full-time because you were translating as well, right? And then why you decided to stop doing that. Can you talk a little bit about that? Sure. A lot of that is wrapped up actually in the fact that it wasn't full-time. I think if I had to do it again, I would do it full-time. I would not. Oh, really? Yeah. I would not recommend that somebody try to be a freelance translator with their own work outside of an agency or a company and try to manage product, uh, try to manage projects mm-hmm. inside a company. Mm-hmm. Not if they work like I do anyway. Um, I decided to do it to learn more about the business. Basically mm-hmm. I bought into TBSJ's goal to be a company that the best translators work with. Mm-hmm. I knew at the time some who did work with that company and mm-hmm. said, yeah, I want to be on that team. Okay, sign me up. So yep. I, and I learned how they manage projects, how other translators work. That was, a, that was a huge part of it. It wasn't just all of the stuff going from TBSJ to the translators, but mm-hmm. watching how translators deal with unexpected difficulties, mm-hmm. how they do feedback, how they take trials or don't take trials, their mm-hmm. communication their comments Mm -hmm. it was hugely educational 
Mm -hmm. But yeah. the fact that it wasn't full time mm -hmm. meant that I was trying to run my business over here on one yep. side and take care of these projects for TVSJ mm -hmm. on the other side. I really couldn't do either of those to the fullest of yeah, my Yeah, that's a ability. lot of juggling. Yeah. It was difficult. And in the end, I decided to go back to 100% freelance because, mm. well, I just did. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I get <laughs> I mean, that it. Was, that was how I saw it working out best. Yeah, I think that that's a tough juggling act for sure. So, but you would recommend, it sounds like you would recommend doing something like that, working as a project manager for a while for someone who wants to know more about how the industry works? I would. And I think that many people, probably many of the best translators do that first, actually, mm. Mm. whether it's as a translator in-house or translator slash project manager in-house. Mm -hmm. They have that in-house experience with an agency or a company and then branch out from there. I did it backwards, really mm -hmm. not knowing anything. And I knew enough at the time to know I'm missing this industry information and I want to go out and learn some of it. So that mm. was, that drove the decision to do that. I yeah, think it I, would have been more difficult to try to figure that out on my own. Yeah. I think there is real value on, um, in seeing the other side of, you know, being a, a translator, like the other bits that go into it. And like you see, seeing how other translators work. Um, and I do think that sometimes it can be a real um, sort of season of sacrifice, right? Like if you work full time as a project manager as well, probably there's no way that you're, well, probably you're not going to earn nearly as much as you would if you were working freelance, but it's kind of an investment down the line, right? Right. And like I said, I think that suppose you committed full time to a company and you did translation and project management for them. I think that mm. probably works out better than trying to do your own freelancing mm. and project management for a company. But that was my experience. And of course, everybody else's mileage may vary. Yeah. I'm, sure some, I'm sure some people are great at juggling all of that. Uh, well, it depends on your lifestyle as well, right? Um, so I know for me, because I have a daughter who's quite young still, then that kind of, you know, juggling too many different things is very, very stressful. And all it takes is a phone call from, you know, school or whatever to say, oh, she's got a fever. Can you come and get her? And you're in trouble, right? It's all very right. stressful. So, um, yeah, I understand about the... Um, the appeal of not, you know, juggling so many different things. And that, that has a lot to do with the way that I manage my work situation. So, mm -hmm. but yeah, I do think that, that there is value in working in the project management side for a while, at least to understand better how, how things work. So as you've been working as a translator, um, is there something that you, like have really done that's given your career a boost apart from working as the as a project manager for a while two major things are learning mm -hmm. translation memory software and mm -hmm. using dictation software mm -hmm. those two things have happened for me in the past let's see i started dictation a little over a year ago and i started using tm a little over two years ago Mm -hmm. Those have really boosted productivity and made the job easier on my body and my mind. Uh -huh. So it's 
you did you start doing it for the productivity but then it also had some added benefits that you weren't expecting I think the body and mind part is mm -hmm. was unexpected I did not expect translation memory to make things easier on my mind I didn't understand it as software that takes care of some thinking for you mm. depending on how you use it mm -hmm. it's it's not doing the translating for me it's no. remembering stuff for me yeah it's it's very very useful in jobs of 10,000 characters or more where you have terms that you have to remember specifically for this job mm -hmm. or acronyms or what have you it just does all of that thinking for you you can outsource that part of your brain to those things and focus on the rest of the translation mm -hmm. that's just so, one of the the benefits so which translation memory software do you use or do you I use, use memsource are you, oh, you use memsource okay i'm familiar yes. with memsource so um it's interesting though because you're uh, is it fair to call you a generalist when it comes to translation yes i call myself a generalist who specializes in sports music and civil engineering okay but you know it, the reason why i think it's interesting is because a lot of people think that translation memory is really only useful for um you know stuff where there's a lot of repetition like legal translation or technical or patents or something like that but you're finding it useful even though you're translating a really wide variety of source texts right yes absolutely i have different memories that i mm -hmm. devote to largely technical and non-technical jobs mm -hmm. at first and if i want to narrow down further after that i do but basically everything goes into one of those two piles Mm -hmm. And also, I have memories for certain clients and not others, depending on NDAs and the like. Mm -hmm. But that's mm -hmm. kind of boring stuff. Yeah. yeah, it's it's really nice to have everything that you've ever translated mm -hmm. a search away. Command yeah. K, boom, I've got it. I can look up Kodawadi. What did I do with it last time? What did I do uh -huh. with it 15 times ago? I can look up Kento. I can look up Fuku. Yeah. All these words that, that give me fits. Uh, I can go look them up. Or if I know I've translated this before, I just can't remember it. Just search. It's all right there. I mean, I would think even somebody who doesn't do anything repetitive at all would at the very least benefit from having a searchable database of their own translations right so for that like alone, a searchable database of your own past wisdom <laughs> right and and i trust it with the the uh, amount of trust that my past wisdom deserves which is right right well but yeah I, ha I haven't opened up my folder with all my jobs numbered in it i haven't opened that up in you know, probably since i started memsource because it's it's all in there mm, so mm. it's that's been the biggest benefit i think yeah and i think that there is nothing worse than that nagging feeling when you're trying to translate something and you're like oh, i've done this before i've i'm sure i came up with a good solution for this word right. or this turn of phrase before but i can't remember what it is so now that's just a search away that's great right and it's it's that feeling that you get i'm sure that people who have ever translated without translation memory have this feeling where you're working on something and all of a sudden your files corrupted and the last hour of work or the last four hours of work or whatever go out the window yep translating all of that again you would think would be easier uh-huh but it, it, in my mind anyway i've thought of it and it's out 
I've thought yeah. of it and it's out there. I've thought of it and it's out there. I don't want to revisit that. And I think yeah. I get kind of indig indignant now when that, when that happens mm -hmm. uh, because I already came up with that. I don't want to think about that again. And actually, translation memory ensures that you never have to do that because it's all being saved somewhere other than the file that you're working. So this I never lose work. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that is, it is somehow more painful retranslating it, isn't it? There, I think it's partly because of that nagging feeling that, oh, what did I do for this? And trying to remember and also the sort of frustration that you've done this and now you're having to do it again. Yeah, right. definitely. Writing is, yeah, writing is exactly the same way. If this happened to the poor person who made this without any helpful software and they lost all their work, they feel the same way about it. Oh, I have to make this, this entire... Yep. Excel file again. Oh. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. So on that topic, we had a question about any particular sort of phrases that you do find like really either a phrase that you're like, oh, this used to be really hard and I've found like the best solution or a phrase that you're still like, oh, I wish I had a good way of translating that. Do you have something like that? <laughs> I've got a lot of those. That's a, that's a daily <laughs> battle. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> On the positive side, I think Kodawari is a great example. I wrote a blog mm -hmm. post a couple of years ago where I came up with 60 different things I could think of to say for Kodawari, of mm -hmm. course, depending on context. And I 60. said at the end, sure. And some of them are synonyms. Uh -huh. you know, obsessive, refusal to settle for second best, persistent. And they're not all straight yeah. on the line. Mm -hmm. it's it's open to interpretation right but i ended by saying and the next time i come across kodawari probably none of these will work it'll be something else <laughs> but so true. It, it's to the point now where if it's in a sentence it's not a problem at all because it's about the rest of the sentence and mm -hmm. i get you know i understand what they're trying to say and the task is say it in english the more other words i have to work with it you can spread kodawari out through a sentence yeah. not even putting it where they put it in japanese where it gives me fits is where i've got a headline on something and it's kodawari no maru maru or nani nani no kodawari that's that's still i, I don't like that very much yeah 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 <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's cool. I think we're going to have to link to that blog post with the 60 different ways to translate Kodawari in the show, show notes because now like I'm thinking, hmm, okay, I wonder how many I could come up with. Uh-oh, I'll have to put it back up. It's, uh, <laughs> yeah. it's on my desktop at the moment. Ah, okay. All right. Well, we'll see what we can come up with. But, uh, yeah, um, Kento is, is another that uh, I thought of. Kento is a fantastic word and it's not even a problem anymore because it's really, it's about what is going on in the background, whether it's mm. considering, planning, discussing, even developing and more specific words. If, if you've got the rest of the report in front of you, you yep. can sometimes tell what is actually mm. going on with Kento. And sometimes you can't, and that's because they want it to be vague. Like that, that happens that's too. That's true. Um, yeah. I, this they, question, actually, I'd love to hear you ask your Japanese guests what gives them fits going from English to Japanese, because I, I've never I think heard them complain about it. Yeah, I think it's going to be one of the um, like fun questions that we ask, like, you know, throughout the different interviews, because everyone's got their things, right? I remember when I was studying um, interpreting, some of those words could really um, be so useful, like, because, um, you know, when you're going from E to J, it's really handy to be able to use a word like Kento <laughs> or, oh. or, or, 
Tori Kumu or something like that. <laughs> right, absolutely. And it's, oh, I, I resent the Japanese language sometimes <laughs> because it's so, and I, I, this is kind of what I say in front of the computers. Oh, you, you said this and your job is done. <laughs> yeah. it and I get it. And everybody who reads this gets it, but I need to make this make sense. Oh. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like that. That's right. It's, it's, yeah, it's definitely tricky. I think um, yeah, it will be really interesting to hear what the native Japanese people have to say, native Japanese speakers have to say about um, the words in English that drive them nuts, trying to put them into Japanese. I would love to hear that. And once you have 200 podcasts, you could probably make an all-star podcast. With <laughs> yeah, just those. Pet peeves. I'd listen yeah, to that. And people's solutions, right? Because sometimes, yeah, you just come up with one that is just like, oh, that's, that's the perfect you know, way to translate that thing that's right. so difficult. Yeah. And why wouldn't you want that in a memory somewhere? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. That yeah, that's a really good point. And so now you're using dictation software as well. So that was motivated by productivity as well, or mainly for health reasons. Productivity and a small slice of health. Uh, mm -hmm. Typing takes a lot out of you, no matter how ergonomically you can get it done. So that was part of it. But hearing people talk about the productivity was the main motivator. Mm -hmm. And the big surprise from dictation has been that it changes the way that I translate. Almost immediately, it changed the way that I translate. I still look at a sentence the same way, kind of rip it apart for its parts that I'm mm -hmm. going to put back together in English. But I won't say things that are vague or strange or chokuyaku, like I just can't say them. Mm. And I think it's improved the quality of my translations. It's improved the readability because I can't slash won't say something that sounds like a translation. It needs to sound more like English. When I catch myself uh, typing instead of talking, I, I know, mm, okay, I need to come up with a better way to say this. That's really interesting. So it's almost like a physical kind of reaction where you can kind of dupe yourself into writing something that's not that natural sounding but you you can't let it come out of your mouth no and i i i wonder i don't really do much full-on typing of translations mm. as much mm. uh, from start to finish so i don't know how it would be going back to that if that kind of seed would would still be there for typing but it has yeah, changed some of that translation yeah. Mm, that's interesting, but it does have health benefits as well, right? Yes, it reduces keystrokes. Um, mm -hmm. That's that's the main thing. Yeah, yeah. Um, it does, but it's not a panacea. It doesn't solve all the problems. You still have to have good posture, which uh, I don't. <laughs> you have to have <laughs> a good workstation, something... which uh, my workstation is kind of working against me a little bit right now in a way that I didn't anticipate. So mm. it's... Yeah, it's a constant battle. And I think that these tools are, are great tools to have. I'm working right now on working dictation, on using dictation even more. Mm. So did it take you a long time to sort of integrate it into your everyday work or was it fairly easy? I think it was fairly easy. If you had asked me in the first two weeks, I wouldn't have said that, but uh -huh. the, it wasn't a very big dip at all. Okay. All right. Was that something that you kind of 
allowed for you like okay for the next two weeks i'm gonna you know it's gonna be a bit slower but i'm gonna really try to use the dictation software or not with dictation no? i did that with translation memory i blocked off mm -hmm. an entire week to do it and it turned out that that week really wasn't necessary memsource is extremely user-friendly yeah it is uh, if i switch to something else uh, specifically something that allows dragon to work natively that may happen. I'm not sure how I would do with something that doesn't have big shiny buttons like Memsource. Mm -hmm. But I think worrying about the the dip, the um, being slower for a time, I can understand why that would be something to worry about. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. It was something that I worried about. It kept me from trying these things for a long time. But I can say almost everything I've tried to make work better has been like, oh man, why didn't I try this before? I've heard people talking about how great this is and it is. Imagine that. Yeah. <laughs> so I, I, if I had to do something different, I, going back, I'd do all this stuff sooner. Okay, so you'd, you'd go to, you'd start using translation memory software and you'd start using Dragon Naturally Speaking sooner. Yes. Yep, okay, excellent. That, that's good, that might be the nudge that some people need like me <laughs> right and i i was against it i really was i i was, I was not only oh translation memory doesn't look good i was I, I my i joined the chorus of saying all that time you spend setting up your job you could have been translating you could have been mm -hmm. putting words on the paper and getting paid and if you if you don't have that as part of your system already mm -hmm. i can completely understand that but Aside from jobs that are like a thousand or fifteen hundred characters, where yeah, sometimes maybe you get to the finish line at the same time. Mm -hmm. When I'm doing a job that's basically anything over four or five thousand characters, translation memory saves a bunch of time. No matter how difficult it is to set up, well, okay, I won't say that. There, there are some jobs that are kind of ugly, but the longer <laughs> the job, the more time TM saves me. So what and was it? I wouldn't have even have believed that. So what was it, do you think, that, that gave you that nudge if you were so sort of anti it? Why did you decide to try it in the end? TVSJ, maybe. Ah, People inside okay. the company needed to learn how to use it to tackle a very large project. And right. kind of like, you know, the writing is on the wall. Uh -huh. Less, oh, if they're doing it, I have to do it. And more of, yeah, this just, this just has to happen. And it might as well happen now. And right. I got to watch. TVSJ kind of throw some translators and editors into the deep end with it mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and almost everybody swam. Yep. So it kind of changed your whole mindset on the, the issue. That's right. great. Interesting. Right. So yeah, sort of the takeaway is just like have a go before you decide. Yeah. That you hate have it. a go. I, I can see why, where it wouldn't work if you have other systems that you like and are mm -hmm. good for your health, the health of your business and your personal health. I can totally see that. It's not the answer for everybody, but it was an answer for me that was waiting for me to find it. And mm. I'll always rue waiting so long to try it. Interesting. So on that topic of kind of like regrets or mistakes is there any other sort of mistake that you can think of in your career as a translator one that you wouldn't mind sharing with the world not at all there's there's a good one that that came up the other day mm -hmm. um, years ago i used a mail tool that had a timer on outgoing messages mm -hmm. and so that was a great way to finish a job say five hours early, five hours before the deadline, put the mm -hmm. timer on it so that the job would go in 15 minutes before the deadline 
And mm -hmm. meanwhile, I've been out fishing or doing whatever, right? Mm -hmm. Oh, that makes it look like I'm sweating down to the deadline and, and this and that. And it worked, except one time it didn't. I told a company I would have, it was around 6,000 characters translated for them by whatever date it was. And mm -hmm. the message didn't go out. Oh, the message didn't go out. And I was away on the weekend or doing something. So it was a complete whiff on this job. Oh, and gosh. it was a company that I liked working for, mm. wanted to keep working for, still do work for. Mm. What happened was I decided never to use that tool again, and I never right. did. And about a month later, after apologizing profusely for mm. missing the deadline in the first place, turning in the job and not charging for it, I mean, they had already covered it. So mm. I said about a month later, look, I've reflected on this. I'm no longer using this system. Please give me another chance. Mm. And they did. That is interesting. I like I, I really like to talk about that for a minute because I feel like some people think if you stuff up once, that's it, right? Like you you've blown your chances. So why do you think like I mean everyone says that's the big cardinal sin, right? If you don't make your deadline. And in this case you've done the work, but because of this tricky tool that you were using, sort of malfunctioning, it didn't work. Um, but regardless, from their perspective, the deadline wasn't met, right? But yeah, and it didn't matter gave, that it didn't work. <laughs> right, exactly. It's kind of, I mean, it's not irrelevant, but in the moment for them, it, it didn't matter, right? Because it wasn't helping them. So why do you think that you were able to salvage that relationship? Like, how, why? Like, that, that is so interesting because I think it goes um, against conventional wisdom. Yeah, I definitely didn't do it on my own. It mm -hmm. took the other side saying, let's give this guy another chance. Yeah, of course. I, I really don't know. It was about the worst thing that I think you can do. It, it's worse than turning in a translation with errors. It's, it's worse than, and I just whiffed, completely whiffed on the deadline. Mm -hmm. I think I'd like to believe that it had something to do with having met people at that company in person. Mm -hmm. and talk to them. I, I really can't see that happening if I'm just a name on a screen mm -hmm. because it's a lot easier to put on that name, don't work with this person. This person is not reliable. I didn't have a great track record with that company at the time either. It was just a few months. Right. Okay. So uh, it wasn't so, like, you know, he's done every job perfectly for the last five years and then he just made this one mistake. It was really early in the relationship. Yeah, I mean, it, it took somebody somewhere saying, let's do this again. And I don't know if it was necessity because of being busy or because we had had some beers together at a, a JAT event or what. Mm -hmm. But I'm glad that it happened and mm -hmm. that it got me off of thinking that way. I still, mm -hmm. I, I still did have something against turning work in too early. I didn't mm -hmm. want to tell anybody that I'd had it done at that time but now mm -hmm. that's completely out the window i, I really don't care anymore uh, right. about because i don't think it's it's not saying anything it's saying i'm done with the job yeah here you go yeah that's right if, this, if, if you like i don't know if the agencies want to do that with their client that's not up to me it doesn't matter no no not yeah no that's the i think that's really interesting but i i do think there is something about that personal connection and also something about like sort of the person who does the translation, not just the, the translation as a commodity, 
right? So if you can work with people who value the personal relationship and, you know, um, they're like not just looking at the fact that, uh, you know, statistic wise, you didn't deliver this job therefore you're out they know you as a person they take into consideration that you're a human being that might make mistakes you know obviously you apologized you provided the work showing them that you did actually do it you didn't charge them for it like you did your part as well that all seems to facilitate that sort of recovery of the relationship Right. And I think part of it too, it, this is why as if an agency makes a mistake like this, uh, no, mm -hmm. well, I, it's hard to imagine an analogous mistake, but suppose an agency does something that upsets mm -hmm. a translator mm -hmm. or a translator does something that upsets an agency. It, it is really good to have other points on the board to say, okay, this was terrible. This was an awful thing, but mm -hmm. we have this relationship or, you know, I get X, Y, and Z from this other party and that is worth salvaging yeah if this happens again I, I don't see any way around it but yeah yeah well that's really interesting though because i think sometimes um translators think that their work should stand alone and it shouldn't matter if they're likable or you know what their personality is like right that just if their translation's good that should be enough but i think that in the real world you know, being likable and easy to get along with and, you know, um, maybe flexible and all those kind of things, they do matter for the relationship. Would you agree? I hear what you're saying. Yeah, I hear what you're saying. And I, I do, I definitely think that has something to do with it. It, mm. it doesn't hurt at all. No, no, that's right. And it also, it's just a nicer way to work, right? <laughs> I oh, think. Sure. Yeah, that's a, one of the things that I was reflecting on recently that when I first went out on my own and I had like a, you know, a young child and everything, I sort of really like she was really young and so she'd get sick a lot and I was kind of putting on that act that it's all fine. Yeah, no problems. You know, like I didn't have a baby, but now I'm in a very different position where I'm working with people who know me and I don't have to pretend about stuff like that anymore. So if something does come up, then I can just say, you know, my daughter's sick or, you know, like as it happened a couple of years ago, my dad's just died. I need to go back to Australia, right. you know, and they just go, oh, okay, no problems. We'll take care of it. You know, and it's nice to have that kind of relationship where you know the other people and, you know, you're, you're, you've got that personal connection. You don't have I to agree. pretend you're a yeah. robot. Yeah. yeah, I agree. I mean, we are, we are all here to do business, mm -hmm. but we're doing business with people. And it's really nice when somebody has um, achieved or when a relationship strikes that balance. Yeah. Like you're saying, yeah. when you can't just say, I need to take time off for X or I'm yeah. struggling with this because X, Y, Z. It's, yeah. it's nice to be able to do that and not have to be, a, you know. Yeah, just pretending that, you, you know, nothing affects you and you're just like a machine. <laughs> yeah, I'll just produce the product and put it in. That, yeah, that's some, right. You know, someday in our, in our dystopian future, whatever it might be like that, but uh, for the time being, it's not. And I, I rather like that. And I can, say, yeah. I can say that everybody I work with has 
positive personal attributes that make me enjoy working with them. It's like mm -hmm. I said, I, I don't hold my nose and work with anybody. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's great. Actually, that's a, probably like a good direction to head in as we like wind up the conversation about the future. So a lot of people are kind of doom and gloom about the future of the translation industry. So um, I, it seems like you've made a lot of changes to the way that you work. And I wonder, like, you know, would you recommend translation as a career to other people or, or are you more in the camp of like, oh, well, no, it's not a very promising place to have a career in the future? No, I, I think it's a great career. There's always going to be a need for some kind of language processing, to put it in its most rudimentary terms. Mm -hmm. I don't think that I would enjoy doing what I imagine as language processing, that being post-machine translation editing. Mm -hmm. I, I don't think I want to do that, and I hope I never have to. Mm -hmm. But if that's what the job is, and that's where our skills go, then... No, there's there's going to be work and of course you can do other things with your knowledge and your language ability so i don't think it would be a bad career for anybody starting out don't ask me how to do it yeah i'm not sure i'm not sure how i would start out in 2018 you know mm. i see things i see services where you you sign up and you do very short translations on very short turnarounds that does not sound good to me at all mm -hmm. but that may be a, that may be a wonderful way to get started i, I yeah it might be for that yeah. Mm -hmm. So I, I think there's going to be work there. And yeah. It's, it's so what is it that all. you like about um, translation as a career? What are, what are the, what's the best things for you? Well, I have a lifelong obsession with puzzles. So I get to play with words all day. Basically. Mm -hmm. That's, mm -hmm. that's it. It's, you know, the, the task itself is challenging and I can easily become lost in it. That's something that I've always wanted in a job. Mm -hmm. I don't really like jobs where you just zone out and watch the clock. I like jobs where you'd, what clock? What's going on? Uh -huh. The freedom is great. The freedom is the number one thing. Um, I often said when I was teaching that I liked teaching, but I did not like being a teacher. That is being there on a day where you have no classes or just mm. having to punch your card. And I think I like being a translator more than I like translating. I really do mm. because it's, it's just the freedom. You get paid for what you do uh -huh. and, and that's it. Yeah, there's something really um, appealing about that direct connection between the work that you do and what you get paid, isn't there? I like that yes. too. <laughs> I, I feel happy to see that go away. And I, mm. I do resist efforts to make that happen. Mm. I understand where people are coming from when they want to know, for example, let, let's pay an hourly rate. Mm. Mm. Not a big fan of doing that. Um, I would sooner go to just piecework, saying this piece of work is worth this uh, than mm -hmm. even a character count because it is, it is all about output. And I think if we were all able to do that in, in all lines of work, that there'd be a lot more satisfaction in the monetary rewards that you get from work. Mm. If it wasn't tied to just being there, you know, yeah. you, you would know, okay, I didn't get penalized for going faster or this other guy didn't get a reward for going slower or, mm -hmm. or what have you. So rather than getting paid for FaceTime, then you're getting paid for the actual value that you provide. I'd like to think that. Yeah, yeah, I, I, I agree. Yeah, absolutely. 
All right, cool. Well, I think that um, we've had a really great conversation. There's lots of other things that we could talk about. Is there anything that you particularly wanted me to ask you about that I haven't asked about? Well, I have a different, a different system of mm -hmm. communicating with clients. Mm -hmm. I guess we can cover that on another episode. Oh, there we go. That would be fun. If it, if it, it's it's uh, not a secret, but it's, <laughs> it's something that I do. It's something that I'm able to do because of where I'm at in my career. It may not always be possible, but it is now. And it is my favorite way to work and live. So. Oh, okay. Interesting. Yeah. Okay. Well, I think, uh, yeah, let's save that for another episode. Then we'll have, we'll definitely get you back again. And in the meantime, if you're really curious, then maybe you can, um, Go and find Danny at iJet, or where's the best place for people to find you if they want to connect with you? You can go to my website, www.triplecrownpacific.com. Use the contact form. Email is my most reliable form of contact. Mm -hmm. You can look for me on Facebook. I'm there too, uh, but I'm kind of hitting this with, with Facebook chat and the like. Yeah. Uh, if it's business related, email is the best thing to do. We actually didn't even get to that. So that's something we'll have to talk about too, because I'm so intrigued by this, you know, um, thing that you mentioned when we talked before the recording about how you use a prepaid phone and you don't have apps on your phone. And it, it sounds like a really different way to the way that most of us operate. So we might have to save that for your next appearance on the podcast as well. I'd love to talk about it. Excellent. Thank you so much, Danny. And um, yeah, I will include all the information on how to contact Danny and uh, um, some of the things that we talked about in the show notes. Thanks, Danny. Okay. Thank you, Sarah. See you in Osaka. Okay. Bye. Thanks for listening, everybody. I really hope you enjoyed this conversation as much as I did. For the show notes, you can go to translationmavens.com slash podcast. If you'd like to find out who I'm talking to next or find out more information about upcoming episodes, then please do subscribe to our mailing list via the website or follow the Facebook page Translation Mavens. I've also recently opened a closed Facebook group also called Translation Mavens, for those of you who want to continue the conversation or have questions of your own. I hope to see you there. See you next episode.